I want us all to kind of think about those moments that we all have, those powerful moments where we experience something in our lives and it makes us see ourselves or somebody else in a different way. And so one of those moments for me was several years ago when um, our family decided to host a movie night at our house for all the teenagers that were in the church at the time. And so with all movie nights, um, the challenge is what movie are we going to watch, right? So that can be a challenge even sometimes when Larry and I are deciding what movie to watch together. Um, you know, it's hard to make a decision. So a whole group of teenagers, that was going to be a challenge. And so we put on Facebook when we invited them, what movie do you want to watch? Well, there was only one suggestion by this great kid named Raul, um, and he suggested the movie McFarland USA. And he was the only one to, to make a recommendation, so we're like, we're going to go with his idea. It was a great idea. If you don't know the movie, it's a great movie. It's about this group of Latino boys growing up in California that come from um, challenging circumstances in a school that's certainly under-resourced, and they start this cross-country team, um, and they work together to build this really great cross-country team that wins like nine state titles. So it was a great movie, but was, what was really impactful for me was to watch Raul watching the movie. And um, this was not the first time he'd seen the movie. He'd seen it several times, um, which was evident um, by sometimes him uh, uh, saying the lines. Um, he, knew, he knew what was happening, and he was really enjoying showing the movie to us. And I think um, one of the reasons why this movie was so special to him was because he could relate to the hero. It was like the heroes in the story were like him, a Mexican-American boy growing up with immigrant parents. And so he got what was going on. And so when the kids in the story would kind of make jokes about their parents, he would laugh in a way that wasn't making fun, but a kind of pride. Like, this is an example of these, these parents were shown as powerful, positive examples of parents, and these boys were positive examples of heroes, boys to be like. And so for him, I, it made me think about how rare that was for him. Growing up here in America, to see himself in heroes in a movie. And it was powerful for me to see that, not because the story of Latinos in America being heroes is rare, but the way those stories are told is rare. And so I, um, I saw last year the movie um, when the Hidden Figures came out. When that movie was released, similar stories to um, Raul's story was told by women of color. And they told about how it was so empowering for them to see women that look like them in powerful ways be displayed in Hollywood. If you know the movie, it's based on the true story of black women during the space race in America in the 60s, also during the civil rights movement, who worked for NASA as mathematicians to help John Glenn com complete his space launch. Um, and a lot of attention was given to this about how rare it was for this story to be shown in Hollywood, not that the stories of their impact, women of color's impact on our history is rare, but those stories are rare to be told. And I remember watching the movie and thinking, why don't I know about these women? And we have to be honest that it's because we've lost a lot of these stories. They have been hidden from us, 
and these stories are rare for us to hear about. And so for me, growing up in the church, I rarely learned about women in the Bible. There were a few that we heard talk about. Um, Hannah and Mary were talked about as these great examples of mothers that we should try to be like. Um, there was a lot of talk about Queen Esther. And I, as a little girl, I remember hearing about how beautiful she was. And a lot of attention on her beauty, um, not as much on her courage and her leadership. There was a lot of talk about the bad women in the church. You know, Jezebel and even Eve talking about her sin. But women in the Bible that um, were used in powerful ways because of their strength, because of their character, because of their wisdom and their leadership, those stories were hidden to me. Their stories were either not told or they were kind of diminished in their importance in some pretty creative ways. And I believe that that really did affect me and the way I saw myself and what role I had to play in Jesus' kingdom. And so for me, things changed a little bit. Um, my own story, when um, the church that I went to hired a woman as my youth pastor when I was 12. And so for the first time, I saw a woman um, in a role that was unusual to me. And she was um, just graduated from college. She was a girly girl, um, still very much is. And yet, she uh, was so excited about the Word of God. And it was the first time I had really been exposed to a woman like her. And she just had natural leadership skills. And um, I was inspired by her. And what I realized was I loved studying the Bible too. And I loved leadership in the church. It fascinated me. And I got more excited about it than anything else I was learning about at school. But honestly, um, being a woman and being a leader in the church has been a long road for me. Um, and I know that there are women here today that that hasn't been a struggle for you to see yourself as a woman and a leader, but there might be other women that um, have grown up in the church or just seen how um, the lack of leadership of women in the church, it's hard for you to kind of um, see yourself as a leader. And so I think that the stories we tell are really important. There are stories throughout the Bible that tell stories of powerful women. And we want to talk about those stories during this series because how we view ourselves and our gifts and our strengths matter. And how we see other people who are different than our, ourselves, how they are gifted and powerful, that matters too. And it matters because if we believe that God is calling his people to live on mission and to bring his kingdom and its values to our neighborhood and to this world, then we all have to work together to accomplish the mission that God has called us to. And so the first story that we're going to talk about this morning is the creation of the first woman that we know as Eve in the Bible. Now you might be asking yourself, why Eve? Didn't she screw everything up? You know, isn't she the first one to sin, to cause this perfect creation to be torn apart, our relationship with God to be separated, our relationship with one another to be broken, our relationship with creation to be in confusion? Yes. Um, Adam and Eve, broke. they brought sin into the world with devastating consequences. But it's important for us this morning to look at how God's creation was so perfect and how it worked so that we can see how God has always been on a mission to restore that perfection that was once lost. 
And so I want us to look at Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis this morning. But before I read, I want us to just speak about the difficulty of reading um, this very ancient text, these first three chapters, because there's a lot of debate that has happened um, between um, how you should read these, these um, first three chapters of Genesis. The debate of whether we should read it as a literal um, history written down for us, almost like a journalist would write some, an event that happened, um, or do we have the freedom to read it in a more figurative way, as a way for us to understand God's intent in creating the world and humanity. And the truth is that many scholars believe that you don't have to take a literal understanding of this text to see it as a really important story that helps us and the ancient original readers to understand ourselves, to understand community and the relationship we have with one another and with God. And so what happens often in this debate is we get so bogged down in, is it a literal translation of, um, you know, a history of exactly 24 hours, six days of 24 hours that God created the whole world. And there's all this debate about that. And what happens is we lose um, the bigger truths that we find in these three chapters. And so that's what I want us to spend our time on this morning. We're just going to look at some of these bigger truths that we see in the first uh, couple of chapters of Genesis. And so I'm going to read for us, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I will let you know what verses I read if you want to um, follow along um, in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And verse 9, And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. Verse 11, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. Verse 20, and God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. In verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we have to pause here a moment and really let that last verse really sink into every part of us. That we are all image bearers of God. All of us. Every single human being is created in his image, in his likeness. We are his representatives here on earth. Is that how you see yourself? As the image of God. The image of God, in Latin, the imago Dei, 
that we are a reflection of God, all of us. I think about when I'm driving around and my kids are in the back seat and I want to see them. And so I look in the rear view mirror and I see my kids. I look at the reflection and I see them. And when we look at another human being, no matter their gender or their race or their ethnicity or their social status, we see a reflection of the image of God, the Imago Dei. And so Dr. John Perkins, who's the civil rights leader and founder of Christian Community Development Association, he refers to this Imago Dei, this um, image bearer, being an image bearer of God, when he explains dignity. He says this, it's not within your power to give someone dignity, nor is it within your power to take it away. To think like that is not only completely destructive, it goes against the heart of the Christian gospel. You can't give someone dignity. You can only affirm it. And Carol Curtis James, in her book, Half the Church, she writes this, our identity as God's image bearers casts in cement a fundamental equality, dignity, and purpose among all human beings. Truth that if embraced and acted on would make the world a better place. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we still have some more to learn about this world that God created and how it worked before sin enters it. And so we're going to continue in verse 28. It says that God blessed them, blessed both man and woman, and said to them, together giving them a job, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So here... God gives his image bearers instructions on what they're supposed to do in creation. And what's important for us to see here is that these jobs came before sin and punishment entered the world. So this work, this toil, this um, conflict was part of life even before sin and punishment enters the world. It's just part of the perfectness of creation was this job that he gives his image bearers to do together. And so those tasks, he begins with the task of being fruitful and to increase in number, to multiply. And it's the same instruction that he gives the birds and the fish, but um, it's important for us to remember that we are not just like the birds and the fish, that we are given something unique. And that is that we are image bearers of God. And so certainly this is talking about reproduction, but something more than that. And so it's why Carol Curtis James, she asked this question, what does it look like for us to be multipliers of image bearers? Does it go maybe beyond the biological to also that of increasing and making more image bearers that truly reflect God's goodness his mercy, love, justice, and grace in the world. So that's the first job that he gives both man and woman to do together. And the second job is to subdue and rule over creation. And we've talked about this verse before and how um, it's a hard uh, verse for us to understand in its ancient context. Um, so we really have to look at these words. Both of the words, the Hebrew words um, that are translated as subdue and rule over are, are words that would have been used for royalty. 
And so what happens for us is we look at these words through our own lens of history and what kingdoms and kings, how they once ruled. But we need to remember that he's giving the job to the man and the woman to rule as image bearers. And so we're supposed to rule like God rules. And so how we look at how he relates to us. And so that word subdue, it's helpful for us to kind of look at how does God relate to us in that way. And this idea that he prunes us. The Bible talks about how he prunes and trains us. This idea that he, um, he keeps things in order, or um, it would be helpful to think of it as cultivating life. You know, farmers and environmentalists understand that if you just let um, life go unattended, that sometimes crops will grow and actually kill other crops because um, order needs to happen, cultivation needs to happen, pruning needs to happen. And that's the job that God gives his image bearers in creation, to keep order and to allow all life to flourish. And then that second part, to rule over, is the Hebrew word that we've talked about before as radah. And so um, we think of it as maybe over the years we've thought of it as domination, but that certainly isn't how God rules over us. He cares for us. And so for us to think about our job is to care for creation. And those are the jobs that he gives man and woman, his co-image bearers, um, to be multipliers of other image bearers, and to care for and to cultivate life in God's creation. And so now I want us to look at chapter 2 of Genesis. And the author of Genesis kind of goes back to the creation of man and woman. And what we see is some important truths about the woman here that go beyond just being a, an image bearer of God. And so in verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But for man, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he, that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. So first of all, this concept that it is not good for man to be alone. This idea that we are image bearers of God and that God is not alone, that he is three in one, that he is always in relationship, and that is how he built us. He built us for community and for relationship, and it's not good when we don't have it. Certainly this verse is used oftentimes in wedding ceremonies, but I think it goes beyond just marriages. It's that we all need relationships. And that is what this church is all about. It's all about relationships and that it's not good for us to be alone. And that's why we work really hard to get to know each other, not just share a room together on Sunday mornings, because we need each other. We need each other to truly be a reflection of God in this world. So man was alone, and so God made him what is um, translated as a suitable helper. Um, if you came from a, a church background that uses the King James Version, um, they translate this as the term help meet, M-E-E-T. 
So I think that both of these translations aren't incredibly helpful for us to understand what the original writer um, meant by them, but um, help meet is really not helpful. Um, and uh, if you grew up, this is still a term that is widely used, and usually today it is used for a certain type of role that women play in the home and in the church. And so um, recently I was talking to a close friend of mine about the church that he was attending and leading in, and I asked him about um, what role women played in um, his church, and he said, well, let me just tell you um, that the pastor's wife um, led a Bible study for women, and they used the book called Created to Be His Help Meet. So, um, Larry and I were joking about that, as we do sometimes, about the silliness, sometimes weirdness of Christian culture, right? So um, we were doing that and um, talking about help me, you know, that, the weirdness of that. And uh, anyway, the old, our oldest daughter, who's 18, comes into the room and into the kitchen, and, you know, we're joking about this. And I don't remember what she did in the kitchen, but something where she made a mistake in the kitchen, you know, spilled something, burnt something, I don't know. Larry makes a joke to me, but she hears it. Um, I'm not doing a very good job of raising her to be a good helpmeet. <laughs> but she has no idea what he's saying because she's never heard that before in her life. And she's like, Dad, gross. Helpmeet? M-E-A-T? That's disgusting. So let's talk about these words that um, get translated with phrases that are unhelpful, you know, as suitable helper, help meet, or help meet. Um, let's talk about the original Hebrew words. So the, uh, these words are ezer kenegdo. The word ezer is translated as helper, kenegdo as suitable, or meet. Um, and I have to say that these words have um, kind of led, and how they were translated, have led to this understanding of women being secondary, of playing a supporting role. And so it's important that we really understand these words. Konegdo is the word um, translated as suitable, but um, a helpful understanding of this word would be an equal part of a whole that perfectly corresponds um, to the other part. So this isn't something we normally talk about in Christian circles, but yin and yang is one of those examples that they are needed and um, equal and opposite, but they are equal parts of the whole. Um, Victor Hamilton, who's a Bible scholar, puts it like this. He says that the konegdo suggests that what God created for Adam will perfectly correspond to him. And it will neither be superior nor inferior, but this equal. And he gives the example in creation of um, the one half of a polarity that is needed between the North Pole and the South Pole. That they are both important and equal and needed for one another. And there's no debate in society, which is better, the North Pole or the South Pole, right? They're both necessary. So that is the word konegdo. Now, ezer, it's translated as helper. And it's important for us to know that this word in Hebrew is word used actually 21 times in the Old Testament. It's used twice to describe women here in Genesis. Three times it's used to describe a nation, a powerful nation that comes to save, um, to help save the nation of Israel. 
And the, the other 16 times, it's used to describe God, the type of help that God brings to his people when he saves them. And what's interesting is all other times that this word, ezer, is used is the type of help in a military context. It's powerful help that comes to help people who are in great, desperate need. That is the word that describes Eve. And so I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. Um, in Psalms 121, verse 1 and 2, it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 20, verse 1 and 2, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help. I think we all know what kind of help that God offers us. It's a powerful, life-saving help. And that is the kind of helper that Eve was created to be. She was needed desperately, not as an assistant, but as a lifesaver. So how does it happen that our fairy tales are filled with these stories of young girls who are in desperate need of a man to come and save her? Something has happened in our society to bring us to this point. So um, I have this great story that kind of illustrates this um, paradox that we have with the fairy tales. So um, my youngest daughter, Clara, when she was little, um, I had these great friendships with other mothers, and we would get together and play with our kids. And so um, they had, I had a friend who had a son named Owen who was the same age as Clara. I'm pretty sure she was three at the time, maybe four at the at the oldest. So we were playing together. Um, Owen was this great kid who always liked to um, dress up in whatever interest he was into at the time. So he went through um, a like lots of different things. He like wanted to be a sea creature. That was creative that he would show up on Sunday with some very creative outfits. He um, was into dinosaurs and there's one time where he actually prayed as a triceratops. Um, <laughs> Great, great kid. So this time he was really into um, knights and being a knight. And so he um, loved this idea of how knights save people. And so he was in a knight costume. I think he had a plastic sword with him. And they went into the woods to play together. Um, we were just on the edge of it. So um, they're playing together. All of a sudden we hear Owen crying. And so he comes out of the woods crying. And so all the mothers run to him. What's the matter? What happened? You know, he's crying. He's like, Clara wouldn't let me save her. She told me she didn't need anybody to save her. She could save herself. I promise you that is a true story. Um, I didn't make that up or embellish it in any way. So if you know my um, daughter Clara, she's 14 now, 10 years later. She's still the same person. Um, and I love it. I love that she um, has that confidence. But I'm very different than Clara. And so when I started to study the meaning of these words as an adult growing up in the church and um, having this idea that I always played kind of a secondary role um, in the church, um, that there were limited roles for me to play, and they usually revolved around food or children, um, which I love um, being with children. I'm really gifted at it. Food, um, eh, not so great, but, you know... Um, when I started to really dig down into scripture and really see uh, this creation story and who women were really truly created to be, 
and that I was needed to be a warrior, to save and to really show up in my full capacity, it was life-changing for me. It changed my marriage. It changed the way I showed up in my marriage, and it changed it for the better. It changed um, how I saw that God could use me, and I started to push myself in new ways. It changed the way I viewed my daughters. It changed the way I viewed the women around me, that we are all image bearers on mission created to be lifesavers. It's important we see what was lost before sin entered the world, that perfect relationship between everything and creation. Before everything got messed up with our relationship with God and one another and our relationship with, between man and creation. But when we look at Genesis chapter 1, we see that after every day of creation, God would look at what he created that day and he would say, it is good. But at the end of chapter 1, when he looks at all of the creation and how it all is working together and how he gives them, the, his image bearers, how they are supposed to work together, and he looks at how that all is working together, this is what he says in verse 31 of chapter 1. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It is very good. Everything God created is the way it should be. It's designed to work together in relationship with one another, God with man, and man and woman, and humanity and creation. They're all interconnected and interdependent. And it's that concept that we talk about here, that Hebrew word shalom, that word that is often translated as peace, but it means so much more than that. It's this concept that means that everything is universally flourishing, that there isn't something that is more important or above something else, that everything is whole and experiences delight. That is what God created this world to work like, and that is how he placed us in this world, how we're supposed to work with one another. And yes, that was lost in chapter 3 of Genesis. But if we see the story of the Bible, we see that God has always been trying to bring that back, bring back that perfect shalom that was once lost. And that's why he sent his son Jesus into the world. And that why Jesus set up a kingdom that didn't look like anything else that had ever been on this earth since this creation. And that's why Jesus, when his first sermon, he said this, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. What he is saying is, blessed are the shalom makers who are bringing back the world like it once was when it was very good, when we were equal and co-image bearers working together perfectly in creation. As his image bearers, we worked to bring shalom to this perfect world. And that's why we work really hard here at Everyday Church to bridge the gaps of our differences. Because we come from different church backgrounds, different races, different ethnicities, educations, genders. We have different stories, and our differences go on and on. And sometimes that means that we have to be uncomfortable to make somebody else comfortable. And sometimes that means that we have to listen to another person's perspective. Sometimes we need to give something up so that we can live in community and unity with one another. And that is really hard work. 
But out of this work, we get to have just a vision of what shalom looks like. When image bearers of God live in a way that is very good, we get just a glimpse of it. So this morning, maybe you didn't need to hear the story of the creation of Eve, but I know that somebody did. They needed to hear that no matter what, your gender, your job, your ethnicity, that you bear the image of God. You have the Imago Dei, and that you don't have to earn your dignity from anyone. It was given to you by God. And there are women here today that need to hear that you were not created as second-class citizens, that you were created as a lifesaver, a warrior. You have strength and power and dignity, and you are needed in the kingdom to show up fully, however that looks like for you. And maybe because we heard that, or somebody today heard that, that all of us are a little more prepared and more able to work together to bring shalom to this church and to this neighborhood.